Jesus, thank you for the word, for the Bible. Um, you haven't left us directionless, but you speak to your people through your word today. We ask that that would be what you do now, that you'd speak to us, that you'd show us the glory of God, and that in seeing you, we would uh, know what it is that that woman who broke the perfume on the feet of Jesus felt the great love of the Saviour that leads us to love much. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so uh, before I get into this passage today, I just wanted to precursor it, I suppose, by saying that uh, we are, as Bob just read for us, uh, going through Luke 12, uh, chap- uh, verses 35 to 48. If, if you're uh, new to this church here, by the way, um, this is kind of what we do of a week. We sit down and we go to the Word of God and we see what God would say to us through it. Um, But uh, today we're going to be focusing most of our time in that first half of that passage. Uh, There's kind of the two chunks, you can see it in the paragraph sections. If you want a Bible to follow along with and you don't have one, by the way, there is a large stack of them over here, uh, inconveniently placed right in the middle. Um, Yeah, but... uh, (sighs) Lost my spot. Um, Yeah, the the simple reason for why we'll be focusing on the first half is that verses 41 to 48, the second half, are primarily aimed at church leaders. Uh, They uh, have some general application. They're not verses we can just skip over and ignore. Uh, But the richest, the broadest application in this passage uh, really does come to us from the earlier part. So we'll be giving that most of our time today. Uh, If you're someone, I should say, though, who is a leader or who desires to be a leader... Uh, then, then there are some serious words towards you and towards me in this last section. And we will hit them, but briefly. Now, at the beginning of last week's message, uh, I mentioned that the fact that the section of Luke we're walking through at the moment uh, is one big slab of teaching. And, and as such, it comes with this consistent developing message on living with the right motivations. Uh, and, and last week, Jesus called us to live with the right treasure, Uh, to treasure God above all else because that's what he made us for. He made us to treasure him and to find joy in him. So to treasure him above the fading treasures of the world, the fool's gold that is of no eternal worth. And it's just as important this week that we note the same thing about the consistency of this message because we might miss something uh, if we didn't see how closely connected what we're looking at today is with what we looked at last week. Um, The big theme of what Jesus tells us today could be summed up in two very short words. Be ready. Be ready for when Jesus comes back. This is is actually the first time, by the way, in Luke's gospel that Jesus has brought up the fact that he's going to come again. He hasn't even died yet and and risen and he's saying, I'm coming back. (laughs) Now, readiness is exactly where he starts this passage. Jesus says, stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Be ready. Jesus is coming a second time. But what what comes directly before verse 35, right? It's not a trick question. Verse 34. I did maths. Um, (laughs) Not really, maths. 
in, in the original text of this, like the original languages, there isn't this big gap between those two verses. Um, it, it flows directly on. There's no title. There's like that's been added later. Jesus says, you know, we could read it like this. Um, Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. It flows directly on from what's come before. So Jesus moves directly from this idea of treasuring God to being ready for his return. And the implication should be fairly clear, right? Readiness comes from treasuring God. If you treasure God and treasure Jesus, if your desire is for him, then live a life focused on being prepared for when your treasure comes back. So broadly, the point here uh, is, is really straightforward. You know, we could be in and out here in about two minutes. Uh, we, I'm sorry, we won't be, but because uh, there's more to it than that. But it's be ready and waiting for the day when Jesus comes back. But there are three aspects of this readiness, uh, this waiting that Jesus emphasizes that I, that I want to bring out for us now. Um, first, the, the waiting that, that we as Christians are called to is active waiting. Jesus says we are to be like servants waiting for their master to return from the wedding feast, ready to welcome him home. So he says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. This isn't a picture of passive waiting. This is uh, waiting that is active. Um, and that's important because there's these two kind of common misconceptions of, of how the Christian life works and how, how this works out in the Christian life, uh, how ways we could misread the New Testament here and Jesus' words. Uh, we could take it to be a command toward a passive waiting, right? It's the first one. Well, like, like, like the waiting you might do, say, this is a terrible country analogy, I just realized, at the bus stop. Um, has anyone waited at a bus stop recently? No. Oh, well, worth a try. Um, you know, you kind of you, you sit and you wait and maybe you pop your head out every now and then, but mostly you just make sure you're in the right spot and you're okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not like that, what he's describing. The picture is of active waiting. It's of doing things whilst you wait, of, of vigilance, of serving whilst you wait. Yeah, the other mistake is that we might take it to be kind of a defensive action or a, a, a moralistic teaching, I suppose you might call it. Um, so making sure that I have my life in order, my house in order, that I'm not living an explicitly sinful life and otherwise walling up, basically, keeping safe, blocking out the dying world around me uh, while we wait for Jesus to come back and make all things new. Um, but that's not it. That can't be it. The Bible doesn't allow for a, for a defensive Christian life that isn't going out to the world around it. So what does active waiting mean? What does it mean to actively be looking forward to the day that our treasure returns when Jesus comes back? Waiting actively means living in a way that will make sense when Jesus comes back. Even if you... It look ridiculous now or get treated like a fool now. And that actually makes a lot of sense, right, in this passage when you think about it, in, in the parable that Jesus tells. Jesus gives us these three images to illustrate active waiting, being dressed for action, keeping your lamps burning and staying awake, uh, obviously within the context of the parable, right? But, but 
think about it. You know, imagine, imagine for a sec that you're one of these servants in the parable, right? Hello, Charlie. Um, and, and creating this picture of us being ready all the time over a potentially long time. Jesus also uses a second parable of being ready for a thief who's coming at an hour that you don't know, but you know he's coming. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Jesus compares himself to a thief. It's an odd little parable, that one. Uh, this waiting, it's an all of life exercise. Oh, and please don't steal my rope. I need that later. And so readiness looks like living every day, every part of every day in light of the coming day when Jesus returns. And finally, the waiting is joyful. The image Jesus gives us in the middle of this parable really jars the whole thing. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, it's so intentionally unnatural because he wants the grace of God to shock us in the middle of this parable. Now, this is a side note on reading the Bible. This is a good thing to look out for when you read the parables of Jesus. Not every single one of them, but often he'll just chuck like a curveball in there that you're meant to see, well, the original readers were meant to see and go, what? Now, if you know the parable of the prodigal son, the bit where the, the father hitches up his robes and runs out to meet him and hugs him, that's not traditional ancient Near East father behavior. Um, anyway, look out for it. It's where God displays his grace really well. But Jesus says here, he says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and, make, and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Imagine it, right? Like, like imagine this lived out. The images of servants who are ready to serve their master when he comes home. Ready to make, you know, they've got the meal ready. They've got the table ready. But Jesus says that that's not how it's going to go down in the end. They're not going to feed him. When the master returns, he, uh, he dresses for service. You know, he comes home in his wedding clothes and he kind of hitches up a bit and tucks it into his belt and gets the, gets the serving tray out. He, he makes the servants comfortable at the table in a way that's obviously undeserved and he serves them. Now, that's not typically how being a servant works. I, I've, I've never worked as a, as a servant. It's not a typical role these days. I work as a nurse. It's a bit similar sometimes. But I don't usually have people come into the clinic and say, all right, John, lie down on the bed. Um, that's not how it goes. <laughs> but this is an incredible reality of the Christian faith. Sometimes people think we're all about not going to hell. That's the Christian message. Don't go to hell. Trust in Jesus. Uh, it's in there. Uh, if, you know, the idea that if you're saved, you get to be with Jesus when he comes back. So good job. You dodged the bullet. Uh, but, but the reality is more than that. When Jesus comes back, when the king of the universe returns, he will return to bless and to give joy to his people. It's that we won't uh, have just dodged the bullet, but we will be cared for, provided for, fulfilled in every way that our hearts long for in a never-ending torrent of undeserved goodness because Jesus has come back. So we're to wait actively for the return of Jesus. We're to wait constantly for the return of Jesus and we're to wait joyfully for the return of Jesus. And it's easy to hear it and still, I think, for us to just 
here and think, yeah, but I, but I have so much to do, right? You know, I've got a busy life. How can I, how can I focus my life on Jesus in every part? I want to I steal someone else's illustration at this point. Um, flagrant plagiarism right here, but there is no plagiarism in Christian circles. Um, don't tell any lawyers I said that. This is a piece of rope. Um, imagine, imagine if you will, like uh, this rope, it ends somewhere around that corner there, but, but just imagine it doesn't, right? Imagine that this just keeps on going forever and ever and ever in that direction. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's at this very moment making its way around the earth to get back to us, uh, and it's just going to keep going. Imagine the rope was your life, right? This, this is the best way I can think of to express how this makes sense, this idea of living today in light of tomorrow. So the rope's your life. God, God created you, did you know? The Bible represents it as God created you to just keep going and going and going forever. Um, that, that although we die, our souls go on forever. Uh, we, have a, we have a start, unlike God, we have, a, we have a beginning point, but there's no specific end to the rope. Now, imagine, if you will, that, that your life, kind of the, the, you know, however many years you get in this world, let's say, let's be optimistic and say 85, that's just above the, the national batting average. Um, that's this red bit at the start. Um, and, uh, and then everything after you die, well, that's, that's all that bit that keeps going and going and going forever and ever. When you see it in context, which bit, and, 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 and what you do in this bit reflects how this bit's going to be. And all, all, of the, all of the greatest joys you could ever experience, all of the best things that could ever happen to you, they're all in this part of the rope. They all just keep going and going and going. And all of the most, <laughs> like, like everything that is less good fits into this little bit of rope. <laughs> the, the greatest joys you could ever experience forever and ever versus the, the five centimetres-ish. But, but what you do in this bit influences what happens in this bit, you know? Forever, forever and ever and ever is reflected in what you do here. Which one does it make more sense to live for? You know, some people, some people, we, 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 we spend this part of the red, so I don't know if you can see that, but there's, there's I mean, maybe that part, right? Um, living for this part of the red. <laughs> so you get, you know, you got your... 65-ish years, it won't be 65 by the time I'm that age. Um, and, then, and then you retire and, and then you've got, you've got this much red to really enjoy yourself. I'm a nurse actually, it doesn't usually pan out that way. I'm, I'm so sorry if you're looking to retire. Um, you know, when, when after that little bit of the red, there's all this, it's madness. When you see it in context, like, when, like if you believe it, and that's the real question, right, isn't it? Is, do you believe that the rope keeps going or do you believe that there's the red bit and then it ends? Because if you believe that there's the red bit and then it ends, well, then it makes no sense to live for this bit because it's not there in your mind. It is there, by the way. Jesus is coming back. But, but if you believe that there's just this bit, well, live for that. But if you leave, believe this is here, if you believe Jesus is coming back and eternal joy forever and ever and ever is with him, then you live this bit in light of that bit. Right? It just, it's, 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 it's obvious when you see it in context. So practically, how does it look? 
What does it mean for us to be actively, constantly, and joyfully waiting for the day when Jesus comes back? How does being dressed for action, keeping our lamps burning, and being awake translate into the real world? I think we can actually uh, make an, a, an approximation in some ways of what those things point us to. Um, there's there's going to be more specifics than we could possibly pan out in, in one day here, and I'm not going to try, be comforted. But here's a starter. Uh, I think at the start uh, that God, sorry, I, I said at the start that God, uh, Jesus, is our treasure as Christians, uh, as, we, as we saw last week. So we get ready because our treasure is coming. We, we'll, we'll, uh, my words aren't helping me today. Being prepared for our treasure's return now means that we treasure him now. We are awake and dressed for action when our lives are focused on God and how his grace changes us. This means we, we spend time in the word of God. Now, it means that knowing that he's our treasure, knowing that he's the one that sustains us through to the end, we've got to be living in prayer. You know, prayer isn't just this mundane five-minute exercise. Prayer is the thing where we get to go and speak to the one who is our treasure and will give us joy forever. means every day we seek to remember the truth of God's grace for us and to seek to see that applied to our lives, to our marriages, to our work, to everything. If you, if you want more detail on what it means to be dressed for action, I'd, I'd encourage having a, a close read of, of uh, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 18. Um, there Paul talks about the armour of God. Here's the summary. It's focused on living by faith in this world. Faith in God. Trusting Jesus more than the circumstances around us. Saturating our lives in his word. Praying constantly and being ready with the gospel in our mouths. Now, now we keep our lamps burning when we are letting the gospel truth, letting the gospel truth of who our God is and what he has done in Jesus change us. And then taking the chances that that provides the gospel chances to share the good news with those who haven't encountered it. If we're dressed for action, if we are being changed by the grace of God, then our lives will have opportunities to share. We will be these lights, these lamps. You know, just a chapter ago, Jesus used the lamp in another analogy. He, said, he told us to look to him, the true light, and as we look to him, we become like living lamps to the world. And now, just a chapter later, he says, keep your lamps burning. Part of being ready for the return of Jesus is that we are to be shining his light to the world around us, sharing the truth of who he is. Now, having said all of that, Peter, good old Peter, turns to Jesus and, and starts uh, this second part of our passage that we're just going to skim. Um, uh, and, and he asks... Are you telling this parable for us or for all? Um, basically, is this just for us, just for the close disciples, or are you saying this for, for everyone who hears? And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't answer. He does that a bit, actually. Um, doesn't answer directly, but Jesus instead speaks a word that seems to be mainly directed at, at the 12 who would become the great leaders of the early church, and then we can read it for the, those who would go on leading the church after them. He, he speaks to those who are given the responsibility of feeding the people of God, he calls it. 
And his point is basically the same as what he's already said, but just applied to church leaders, right? There is great joy for the leader who is ready at the return of Jesus. That leader will be blessed and will rejoice because, he was, because it was all worth it a million times over. But he also gives uh, a severe warning and it's spoken to leaders, so, so we'll treat it that way. But, but there is a sense in which some of this applies to all of us. It has implications for all of us. And that's where we're going to end today. Jesus says that if the leaders take the delay in his return as an excuse for sin, then only punishment awaits that person. Now, this isn't saying that a leader has to be perfectly sinless. Uh, I want to be explicit about that because otherwise um, Jeff's predicted lynching today will in fact happen and it will be me. Um, I'm sorry, that was a bit confusing to anyone who wasn't in that conversation. But... uh, (laughs) A leader doesn't have to be perfectly sinless. We have only one perfect sinless saviour, Jesus. But the image we get here is of a leader who reveals by his actions that he treasures the things of this world more than the return of Jesus. And so he becomes abusive towards God's people. It's quite rough, the language here, because he isn't living in the grace of God. He takes, uh, takes to sin with excess. Jesus says he becomes drunk on it. And you see, that's a leader who is living for the fool's gold of today, not the joy of Jesus' return. In fact, that is a leader who reveals by his actions that he doesn't believe in Jesus' return, that he doesn't have a faith in Jesus. And so Jesus says he will be put with the unfaithful. He doesn't believe Jesus is really coming back. And, and so Jesus says there's only punishment awaiting that man. Like I said, I don't really want to labour this part, but I do want to be clear for myself and for anyone who would be keen to lead the church at some point, because I, I hope we have people who have that desire and that heart in our church. Uh, it's, it's a good thing to be keen for, but heed the words of the Bible. A stricter rod of punishment is applied to those with this great privilege of being the teachers and leaders of the church. Thank you, Charlie. It's a noble thing that you aspire to if you aspire to lead. Paul says that elsewhere. But it's a serious thing and must be taken in hopeful faith. Or the results are disastrous, both for yourself and for those who follow you. So be sure of your own faith before you ever step towards leading. And Jesus ends on these words. Everyone to whom much was given... Of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Um, This is the bit that that has implications for us all, right? Um, We live in a a time of such abundance. Um, Barry actually thanked God for it just before. We have so much. Um, You know, you compare my work schedule or our work schedule, even the hardest working of the workers here, the work schedule to to that of 150 years ago on average, right? And we have spare time by the buckets today. We have have more expendable income than almost any other time in history, especially in Australia, right? Not just that, there there was a time, there was a time just a few hundred years ago uh, when the Bible did not exist in our language, right? And now I can read it as an English speaker. Like, like I don't even need this. I, I don't have my phone. But I can read it on my phone. I don't even need to carry a book. I can, I can listen to it on my phone. I don't even need to read it. 
if I, if I want to hear it spoken out. There was a time when every sermon preached was preached in Latin. Raise your hand if you speak Latin. Same rough average as the people in the churches when that happened, right? It, it was usually preached by a man who had about the same biblical literacy as the people listening who had never read the Bible because it didn't exist in their language. Now we have the word preached in our own language by people who've had the privilege of, of being able to, you know, decidedly, concentratedly study it for years. And not just that, we have access to the teaching of innumerable, good, solid, biblical teachers. Thousands of great inexpensive books and podcasts are at your fingertips these days. You can literally now be mentored by the works of almost every great church leader in history in your own language, mostly without having to actually read them because they exist as an audiobook as well. And we have freedom in our country to share faith, to speak about Jesus without the persecution that is faced by many and that has been faced, that has been normal to the church throughout most of history. The question is, with all of this, right, with all that we've been given at our fingertips, are we making use of it in a way that reveals that we love and long to be ready for the return of Jesus? Are we grasping these incredible opportunities we have, which we have no guarantee will be there for, for much longer? Are we grasping, grasping them because, because it will make sense when Jesus comes back? even if it means we have to sacrifice other things now, things that are valuable here and now, even if it means we get treated as fools here and now, are we willing to do that? I think, of a, lot of us, uh, I think a lot of us have, have lived for a long time in churches that emphasise good teaching, and, and rightly so, uh, it's important, but it's very easy to start thinking that hearing good teaching means that I am ready that I am living the life God has called me to. But, but look at that through the lens of what Jesus says here, through the lens of everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. Just hearing, it's not enough. Just hearing means nothing. In fact, uh, it means something. It means that you have been given a great gift to live out. If we treasure Jesus and we have being given so much good teaching across our lives. God isn't just, God isn't just um, giving that to us so that we can have big brains, do you see? God, he, he gives his good gifts to us so that his kingdom can grow in our lives and so that we can grow in readiness for his return. I want to I wrap up today just with a quick couple of verses from the book of Revelation. Um, Revelation 19. It's a, it's a vision of the time when Jesus comes back. John writes, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. It means Jesus is united with his church. And his bride has made herself ready. That's the church. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, 
write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The return of Jesus isn't uh, just this kind of dull change. It's not just someone knocking on the door and going, I'm here. It's not even just a making better of all things. You know, the image the Bible uses here, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I, I mentioned the marriage suppers of that day, right? They're up to a week long, crazy parties. It's, the picture is of the greatest wedding party in history, a thousand times over. You ever been to a party that was just good? That, 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 that rocked, that was just so fun, so enjoyable, that all of your cares seemed to slip away. The Bible envisages the return of Jesus like that, but with none of the negatives and with the positives infinitely amplified. Joy that's not tainted with any sorry. Laughter, the likes of which your belly has never felt before. Freedom, the likes of which we only see dimly now in the most free of people and it will be shared by all of God's people. All suffering lifted, all joy completed because Jesus has come back. Our treasure is here and he'll never leave. So let, let's, let's seek as the people of God to live today actively waiting for the day. Pray with me now. We'll, we'll pray for that.